privilege it is to be able to bring God's love and his message to these people that's going to affect our lives in a, in a way that's positive. It's going to spread love to the world. It's going to help you guys, build you guys up. Jesus wants to do stuff, and if my words and just translating what God's been sharing with me in the Bible are going to help you with that, it is great to be here. It is a privilege, you know. So any, just honesty, God had to challenge me on that. So anyway, here we go. Um, I'm going to talk this morning from Exodus chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments. Seriously, it's actually the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to talk us through the Ten Commandments, but I'm going to take a little story from there. So it's in verses 18 to 21. Oh, I still sound weird. I sound pretty weird. Keep going? Keep going. Okay, so Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 21. If you have your Bibles with you or you'd like to read along with me, I don't really do screens. I don't, I don't do slides and stuff. So if you'd like to follow along, feel free. And while, just while you're pulling that up, I'd just love to just open us in prayer, kind of get us settled a little bit and focused on God. So I'll just pray while you guys are flipping there. Um, Jesus, we, we do thank you. Um, thankfulness is a real weapon against a, kind of a tunnel vision or a bitterness when we uh, have really tough circumstances. So we thank you for breath in our lungs. We thank you for people around us this morning. We thank you for a country where we can talk about you and worship you openly. Thank you for who you are and for this amazing privilege that we get to be your children. Just thank you for life. We just woke up one day. We didn't try really hard to exist. We are your creation. Thank you for everybody here that there's like billions of people on the planet and we're all unique. And I thank you that your word says that everybody's made in your image. Just like billions of different reflections of who you are. So I thank you for the privilege I get to hang out with a bunch of different reflections of who you are this morning. Thank you for the uniqueness of every person. We welcome you here, Holy Spirit. We want to learn from you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're jumping into a pretty unique story. This is, this is actually the story where the ancient Israelites are given the Ten Commandments. So if you don't know anything about that, Israel's a giant nation at this point. They started as a family, but now they're hundreds of thousands of people. They were enslaved in the nation of Egypt for hundreds of years, and then God dramatically frees them. You might know that story. There's plagues being sent on Egypt. God leads them out into the wilderness. They go across a dry sea, like they part the Red Sea and walk across, and then the sea engulfs the army of Egypt behind them. It's craziness. They're being fed by manna every morning, which is some kind of bread-like substance that appears on the ground every morning. That's that's their food. Like, it's, it's crazy, okay? This is a really crazy journey. It gets crazier, so they're, they're led in the, in the wilderness to this mountain, okay? And on this mountain, God establishes a covenant with ancient Israel. And the Ten Commandments are a part of that, but this story is very unique because in the Ten Commandments, God speaks himself to the people. Very often, he'll speak through Moses. He'll give Moses something to say. Moses will convey that. Moses goes up the mountain, receives something, and then conveys it to Israel, but in this story, God speaks directly to them. So we, we arrive at this story, and they're at the foot of a mountain, and it's bonkers. I don't know how else to describe it. The, it says that there's smoke, so God's presence descends on the mountain, and there's smoke billowing up from the mountain. There's sounds of trumpets. The mountain's literally trembling, and there's thunder and lightning, and then God speaks to them. Okay, so let's jump in. Let's hear their reaction. This is what we're reading. It says, now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So, 
I think a lot of us would react the same way. There's a voice coming out of a mountain that's literally trembling and there's smoke coming up. It's, I, I have a hard time imagining that. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I have a hard time imagining what's actually going on here, but I think we would react the same way. This is pretty crazy. They're so scared that they say, we, we actually can't hear God's voice anymore. Moses, you just hear from God and tell us what he says because they're afraid they might die. They've seen God do miraculous things. They've seen God judge the army of Egypt. They've seen God send plagues. It's, it, they know who this God is and it's crazy, right? The first thing that comes out of Moses' mouth is really telling to me. I find it really baffling. Moses says, do not fear. And then right after that, he says, God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. Well, hang on a second. Do not fear. God's come that you may fear. That's what I just read you. Great. That's really clear. Okay. Helpful. Great. Let's move on. No, let's not. Hang on a second. There's actually two different words here in the ancient Hebrew. Okay. And English just didn't really convey it that clearly. So, Do not fear. These guys know that God can execute judgment. Do not fear is God's not about to shoot you, okay? God's God's intention is not to scare you and paralyze you with fear. It's not his intention. His intention's not destructive. But it does say that God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. Why? That you may not sin. Israel needed a sense of who God was, and they didn't just get it with this crazy experience on the mountain. Like I said, there was a sea that parted, and there's been all kinds of crazy stuff. If you read the story, I encourage you to. They, they know who God is, and, and, and God's saying that I came to do this, that the fear of him, of God, would be before you, that you may not sin. It's a pretty good incentive. You're kind of getting a better understanding of who's speaking here. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's where it starts. So if you have no fear or reverence, if you have no reverence of who God is, how much do you care about following what he says? Does that go up or down? If there's no consequences to, to, to disobeying what he says, does your likelihood of following or listening go up or down, right? Probably going to go down. Like, so do you understand what they're getting at? Like the reverence of, of, of recognizing the reality of, of who he is and, and the consequences is a motivator. <laughs> it's the beginning of wisdom. So there's a really distinct difference here. I think for us, let's personalize this. I think, I think in my parents' generation, especially my grandparents' generation, from what I understand of it, a lot of us need to hear the do not fear. The fear of God was actually kind of crippling. It can actually become a little abusive, the fear of God. It, it, and, and that's why Moses begins with that do not fear. This isn't meant to be destructive. You're not supposed to walk around every day feeling like you're just about to get shot. It's not meant to, to crumple you into a ball. I feel like my, my parents and my grandparents' generation, a lot of the Christian culture was so, like it, it went to an unhealthy damaging place where it wasn't freeing and they, they, they almost couldn't walk. They were afraid to walk, right? This is just stories I've heard. But I feel like sometimes the pendulum can swing the other way. So what's the other opposite extreme, right? The other opposite extreme is when God's a care bear. <laughs> when, you have no, when you have no reason to be revering what he might say. The other opposite, and that, that's honestly, I, I kind of feel like that's existent in our culture today where it's all good. God's just love, man. Don't worry about it. You know, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. God's just, like, he's just love, and, you know, it would never inconvenience you or challenge you. That's kind of the other opposite extreme, and both are quite damaging. Being so afraid that it's crippling is damaging, and, but also denying people 
a sense of who God is and that reverence, like an understanding that there's consequences, that's also pretty damaging because it's, it's real. God says that he put this fear before them that they may not sin. It's out of compassion. It's showing them the reality of, of what might happen, right? I found it challenging. I found it personally challenging. I was like, I need to convey both, right? I need to understand that God's fear, the, the fear of the Lord, the reverence of him, and the way we're supposed to fear and walk with him is, is not meant to be crippling, but we do need to mention it. So I felt, it, I felt it challenging. I was like, do I convey that when I talk to people about God, right? Am I skipping over that? Am I making God a care bear? <laughs> not, you know, that's extreme, but you guys get what I'm saying. There's this really cool verse. Oh, actually, I want to catch one more thing in this story before I move on. It's in verse 21. So the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Okay, remember how crazy this mountain experience was? Moses drew near to that. Moses is seeing the same thing that they are, and Moses draws near. What does Moses know about God that the people don't? Why are hundreds of thousands of people terribly afraid of this and Moses is drawing near to it? I'm sure that Moses still had, you know, he was, he was seeing a shaking mountain. I'm sure he still probably trembled, but he drew near to the mountain. Scripture actually says, this is crazy for me. I love this language. It's so moving. And when I get to my point, it's good. Anyway, it's crazy. The Bible says that Moses talked to God like a friend would talk to a friend. It's, it's Exodus chapter 33. I believe it's verse 10. Moses talked to God like a friend. Whoa. I need to just dwell on this for a second, okay? We are saying that God is real. His presence would descend on a mountain and give people advice that they wouldn't fall into sin. I believe it was for their benefit. These aren't magical religious rules that you're just supposed to follow and they're intangible, right? God would do that. And, and even beyond that, even beyond God just being willing to speak into our lives to lead us into wholeness, he spoke to Moses like a friend. Here's a really cool thing that I don't want you to miss. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I know this, Jesus is talking about his followers. Okay, let's get this a little more us. As followers of Christ, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. <laughs> Whoa, that's crazy. I'm really telling you, I know this is audacious, I find it crazy. The more I think on it, the crazier it honestly seems. God wants to be my friend. I feel like if Jesus hadn't said that, that would sound really weird. Like if, if there was somebody at the front of a, with a microphone being like, guys, guys, God told me he wants to be my friend. That sounds weird. You know what I mean? But this is the actual type of relationship that Jesus himself says. You can look it up in John chapter 15. My followers I call friends. And that's actually only beginning. The, what, what I want to talk to you about today is actually, the word I use is intimacy. It's an intimacy with God. I'm going to talk about my story of growing in intimacy and a closeness with God. A friend of mine who I consider to be, a, he has a gift of, of, of a prophet. He said to me maybe about a year ago, he said, I, he was praying for me and he prayed that my intimacy with God would grow. And at the time, I didn't really understand it. But a friendship is only the beginning of how the Bible describes our relationship with God and why we, why we exist. In John chapter 15, it actually says that we are like branches that are grafted into a vine. It's like our life is, is connected. It's it's. it's in the same chapter, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. It's like your life, like you're, you're connected in such a deep way. It's even deeper than a friendship. And this is what God would desire for us, not just Moses. Moses was an example of what 
would become available to everybody through Jesus. That's available to you today. I would feel really bad if I didn't convey that to you, that when Jesus died on a cross, he, he died as a, as a rescue mission. He died to take your sin from you so that you could walk in closeness with God. When he died, the, there was a curtain in the temple. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there was, a, there was a temple, and there was this big curtain. And I didn't do all of the reading, but that curtain wasn't just like a drape. It was a really serious artwork, and it was really thick. And on the other side of the curtain in the temple in the Old Testament, it's called the Most Holy Place. And how the Israelites, the Jews, understood that was that that's where God's presence dwelled most intensely. That was like the closest you could get to God's presence. The high priest went in there once a year after extreme ritual circumstance, like after an extreme ritual purification process, once a year. Jesus Christ dies, and do you know what happened to that curtain? It was ripped in half. It was ripped in half. So the presence of God, I, I, I'm a very visual person, I see it kind of like rushing out of there. It's not limited to this one room where one per- the closeness with God that he longs for was now going to be released this guy gets it. Um, I don't know if I could tell you anything more crazy than that. You have a hope available to you because God wants to be so much even more than a friend. And it's a free gift. And God's showing you his character in the life of Jesus that he would come and, and would die for you. It's really to his credit. So what does it mean to walk in an intimacy with God? If God wants this kind of relationship with you, how does it look? What does it look like to have an intimate relationship with God? That's where I want to go next. In uh, Luke chapter 7, Jesus gives a parable. He says that somebody who's forgiven, just to give you kind of Jake's paraphrase for the sake of time, he says that somebody who's forgiven $500 loves a lot more than somebody who's forgiven five. This is an example he's giving. Somebody who's forgiven very little doesn't love as much as somebody who's forgiven a lot. And what happens in the story is there's actually a prostitute who says, Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven, and she loves very much because her sins are, her life's a wreck. Her sins are a lot. And he says that, but he who's forgiven little loves little. It's in Luke chapter 7 if you want to look it up. Jesus sums up the commands of the Old Testament. He says the whole Old Testament, all the law and the prophets are summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how he's summing up the Old Testament. It's, it's love. It's not do. It begins with love the Lord your God. It's, 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 it's not just performing a certain way. It's that relationship I'm talking about. It's that friendship that Moses was an example of and that we as Christians today get to walk in. It's a friendship. So if you are forgiven little and you only love a little, but Jesus is saying the whole point is to love God with everything you are, is that, are some people just kind of screwed? Right? Like, do you, like I, I've honestly heard this. You may have too. I grew up a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. And we hear these testimonies of people, the stories of people that their lives became a total wreck. Like they got addicted to cocaine and they're on the streets and God saves them in dramatic fashion. I've actually heard people be like, I kind of wish like my life was a wreck so that I believed more. I wish like I did cocaine or something so that I would actually believe more in Jesus. And I, my heart breaks when I hear that because it's like, you don't need to do cocaine. 
to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus, okay? That's, that's not the answer. Yeah, don't tweet that. It's not the answer. You don't need to make your life a giant wreck. So what's the answer, right? If you've been forgiven much, you're going to love much. And God's saying the whole point is to love God with everything you are. Is the answer that you need to do cocaine? Or is the answer that all of us have been forgiven a lot, but we don't quite see it? Right? Even as Christian kids, even as people that have generally done the right thing, it's not about, it, it, it's not about trying to find shame in something that, that, that's good. It's not about calling good things bad. I'm going to talk to you about my journey in the past year. Remember how I said my friend prayed that my intimacy with God would grow? I, became, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I prayed a prayer with my mom at the coffee table when I was four. I actually don't remember it, but my mom does. So I believe that I had a journey with Jesus since that point. Jesus was something in my life. He was an active force in my life. But when I was 18, something became a lot more real. Something really changed, and I haven't really looked back at just at a certain point when I was 18. God, I was, honestly, I was, I was kind of down and out. I, I wasn't like doing cocaine and homeless, but like I, I, was, I was in a lot of pain, and God was my helper. I experienced help and comfort in a way that was just totally bonkers to me. Like it, it kept drawing me back. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a bingo, open-eyed, vision, crazy experience, but since then, God's been changing my life, and something really changed when I was 18. In the past couple of years, um, I believe that God has been showing me a little bit more of how much I've been forgiven, and I believe that it's caused me to love him a lot more. So just to give you a peek at what that looks like, um, a couple of years ago, we started a, a Bible study at our, uh, our apartment. It was actually started at Stefan's parents' place, if you, if you know my roommates. Um, we, at the time, we were like, it was actually Michaela who started, and we were, at the time, we were like, you know, we're Christians, but we're not really that intentional about seeking God. We wanted to get something in our week that was intentional. That was, that was honestly how it started. It was like, we need to do something. Like, we don't even talk about God, but, you know, geez, you know. So we start this thing. We start meeting regularly, and we start inviting people out, and God's done amazing things in that group. I don't, I don't know that I could sum up all the things that I've seen happen, all the pain that I've seen come out of people, and the change on the, on their, in their uh, complexion, like, what, not complexion, uh, countenance. God's done amazing things. People have come to know God because we've started creating space. And I get comments like, oh man, like Jake's group. (laughs) I get comments and I get people, I've honestly had people be like, your life seems perfect. And I'm like, no. (laughs) Here's the thing. I've started to see God do crazy things in my life, literally supernatural things at times. If you ever want to hear stories, I can tell you some stories. It's been absolutely crazy the past six years since I've been 18. God really changed my life. It's been different. Here's the thing that God was showing me in the past year is that when I start to see God moving through my life, when I see the fruit of something happening on like a Wednesday with this group and stuff, there was a part of my heart that was, that was taking credit for that myself. There was a part of my heart that was like, doesn't this prove who I am? There was an insecure part of me that started to become prideful about what I saw God doing in my life. And you know what gets worse is that you start to view other people as less because you don't see the same things in their life. You start to think really judgmentally. And slowly but surely, God's had a lot of moments in the past year where I've started to realize how I see people, how quickly I would write somebody off, and, how, and, and, and why I thought I was different than that because of the way that I saw God moving. Up. Well, I'm, clearly I'm something. Look at this. That's really whack. That's really twisted. You know? <laughs> That's, it's been really convicting. It hasn't been, um, 
The Bible talks about, I don't have time to hit everything today, but the Bible talks about something called godly sorrow that produces repentance. And it's just a conviction. When God's showing you how much you've been forgiven, he's not rubbing your face in shame. It's not, it's not an overbearing rubbing your face in shame that just undoes you and destroys you. Remember how Moses said, do not fear? God's been showing me a little bit more of my heart and how much I've been forgiven. It, like, the, like the disposition of my heart's the way I would think. You know, Jesus says, in Rome, uh, uh, Paul says in Romans 12, he says, be transformed in the renewing of your mind. I think my th- way of thinking just had a lot of sorting out to do. Still does. This isn't like, okay, I'm done now. Now I can talk about it. No, 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 no. Hang on. Hang on. Okay, whoa. My way of thinking really needed to change. The way that I was seeing myself, honestly, at the root of it, I had a lot of insecurities. And where I would sin is trying to prove myself. All of a sudden, when my, when my identity and how I feel about myself is conditional based on these things that I think are to my credit, all of a sudden, you're actually really vulnerable. Honestly, you, you can't pick one without the other. So if you're saying, I'm, I'm something because look at all these things. Now when you don't measure up to that bar, now when you're not doing those things, how do you feel about yourself? Right? You, you're, you're vulnerable because now how you see yourself, how you see your value is now conditional based on your performance. It's vulnerable and it's destructive. The pain that I've experienced because of insecurity in the past year has is, is at times been really intense because of insecurity, because I had my identity, how I saw myself was built on something that I thought was about me. The Bible says something else really unique about Moses. It says that Moses was the most humble man in all the earth. All the earth. What God's been taking me through, though it's been convicting, and though your pride feels challenged at times, it's been humbling. And I believe that in humility is true freedom. I believe that when you start to see yourself as valued, because not because of how you can do something or what you can bring to the table to build yourself up, when you see yourself as valued because of how God sees you, because of what God ascribed your value as, which is the, the blood of Jesus, by the way, it was, you were worth that. And that's, what, that's where you take your identity and your value. It's really different. It's really different. So Moses was the most humble man in all the earth. And I believe that what God's been taking me through is a humbling process too. But honestly, godly sorrow produces repentance, but it doesn't bring us to shame. That's the other half of that verse. I didn't write down the reference, but it's, it, it, it doesn't produce regret. Okay, so like I said before, when God's going to show you how much you've been forgiven, if you think it's five and you don't really love God that much because you've only been forgiven five bucks, and God shows you that actually it's 50, it's not, it's not shame. I think I've made that pretty clear. I believe that God wants to walk with us in a life of intimacy. Psalm 25.14 kind of sums up my whole message. Psalm 25.14, it says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. When you start to get a sense, let me put it in a little more blunt terms. It's not just how much money you've been forgiven, but it's how undeserving I was of the grace that God has given me. You start to love him a lot. That command starts to become a reality in your life. And all of a sudden, your relationship with him isn't entirely intellectual. It's not entirely based on a discipline. I'm not bashing disciplines or having a disciplined life. 
I think disciplines in the sense of being regular and, and disciplined about praying, being regular or disciplined about reading your Bible, I believe that those things are meant to lead you to a place where it's a, I would call revelation, where you see, and, and God's alive. We say that Jesus rose from the grave. It's, it's, a, it's an abiding, it's a love relationship. It's more than a friendship. That's what gets you there. So disciplines lead you there, but if, if a disciplined habit is all your, the extent of your relationship with God, I think you're being called to something deeper. I think, you're, I think God means for you something a little more holistic than that. I believe you can walk with him every single day. I don't believe there's any crevice of the earth you could go where God wouldn't be with you. Jesus gives you a lot of promise in scripture. It's, it's exciting when you start to see these things for yourself. When Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, that's comforting. <laughs> At times you feel like he's not around. But you can, like, you can take that promise in scripture and be like, Jesus has said that he's here no matter how I feel right now. The promises in scripture will change your life. The promises that as you take them for yourself personally, you see that this is in a relationship with a living God. These aren't just good moral lessons that you apply at an intellectual level, right? So what I believe God wants to do this morning is to spur us in that direction. If you are feeling like God is showing you that you have been forgiven more than $5, if you are actually seeing a little bit of a greater, a greater understanding that of how undeserving you were of the love that God has for you, I believe that that's a really good thing. I believe that humility is true freedom, and I believe that pride is, is so exhausting. It's so exhausting. Humility, when it's, when it's conditional, it's, it's just received as somebody that's been changed by God. That's, that's really freeing. If you're somebody this morning that, uh, you're somebody that where the fear of God is crippling and you, and you you're just afraid of getting shot. You're, you don't know what to do with that. You're just, you're just so afraid of God. I believe that you need to hear that do not fear. So I'd like, to, I'd like to invite you to pray with me. I just want to close in prayer, and I'll have a couple more thoughts after that prayer. But when I lead us in prayer, I often hang a lot of silence in the air. And I just want to give you permission to talk to God yourself if that's what you need to do. That's what you're comfortable doing. The silence may be uncomfortable for you, but I just want to give that space for people that need to talk to God right now. You can do that in your head. So just join me in prayer, and then I'll give us a couple more thoughts, and I'll close. God, we come before you today, and Holy Spirit, I just invite you here. Your word says that you rose again from the grave, Jesus, and that you sent us a helper, a comforter. You sent us a spirit that you made us your temple and you fill us. I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning that they would have a greater sense of the value that they have to you. I pray that they would receive a hug from you if they need it. I pray that they would receive a sense of encouragement that they are capable they are valued. We come to you today and I, we just want to sit with you for just a second.
Jesus, I want to leave us and close us with a verse that says um, a little picture of what it looks like to be transformed. It's in the book of 1 John, and it says that we love because God first loved us. So as we grow in love, it, it, it's, it's, as a re, it's a response to the love that God wants to extend you. So I, pray, I, I just pray in Jesus' name that everybody here would, would find the avenue, would, would encounter and would seek, would be spurred to look and, and listen to you, God, because I know that we need to know that we're loved. We want to become love and change in the world. We, we know that this world needs more ears that listen. This world needs more people that have an answer, that have a hope that transcends circumstances. Life is tough, and we are, we are not here complacent. We want to become a change. And if your word is saying that we need to know love from you first to become that, we invite you and give you permission to love us and show us that. Break down our walls, our fears, our hesitations, our false perceptions of who God is. And in Jesus' name, would you show us the love that you have for us? That would spur, that would change our devotion from intellectual to an encouragement that's in the heart. That would change our religious relationship with you into an abiding friendship. Thank you for this truth. As you've been encouraging me and blowing my mind as I dwell on these things, I pray that you'd blow my friends' minds too. <laughs> In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.